So we have a lesson from a letter written by James today. We've also just had a beautiful baptism. The table is set for us. The question that I'm pondering, and I invite you to ponder with me, is what is good enough? What is good enough? And I'll tip my hand a little bit and, and, and say that it is an honor to preach here this morning on a Sunday when God is celebrated and the community of the church is celebrated and the Spirit's presence with us is celebrated in such powerful and palpable and visible ways at font and table. And I've struggled with this text today. And so if it challenges you, I just, I just want to remind you in advance that's okay. But the prayer is that God will speak a good word to us this morning. Won't you join me in a prayer before I engage this text? God, we ask that it be your word and your will for us that is revealed this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. So from the second chapter, my brothers and sisters, do you believe with your acts of favoritism, do you really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say, here, have a seat here, please, while to the other one saying, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to all those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But you show partiality, you commit sin, and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. Now if you go and you don't commit adultery but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. And what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have any works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill, but does nothing to supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So, faith, if it is without works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever felt like your faith was dead? 
bearing no fruit? I have. The first year of ministry is tough. Never feel like you're doing enough or doing the right things to build and grow and nurture and support the people that you've been called to serve. And at some point it hits you, it's not really about what you're doing, but God is working through you and God is still there. But that doesn't make it any easier. I still found myself at times showing favoritism to the apparently opulent faith of others and castigating my own spiritual poverty. James can be a tough text for those like me to read. Those like me who feel a perpetual sense of mm, not quite good enoughness. Those like me, by those like me, I mean human beings, right? The same human beings that the psalmist said, who are human beings, O God, that you would care for them? As if in the back of his mind he was thinking, surely we can't be good enough. This attitude I find is particularly pronounced among the college students that I work with. Maybe among seminary students, too. Students never feel like they have enough money. They never feel like they have enough time. They never feel like they're working hard enough. They never feel like they're studying enough. And so, as a result, they're never eating enough. They're never sleeping enough. So I bring them coffee every Wednesday. It seems counterintuitive, I know. Hey, slow down. Here, have some caffeine. But the students are so grateful. And the equal exchange coffee is so much better than Starbucks in so many ways, right, Dan? Yeah. <laughs> I've been surprised with the number of students who will take the time to share with me a bit of how their day's been going as they slow down to fill up at the coffee table. This past Wednesday, I was at the VCU School of Music and Theater, and a theater student stopped by to fill up a cup of coffee. And I asked him, I said, is there a, is there a performance today? I, just, I noticed that all the theater students coming in have been wearing all black. He said, no, there's, there's no performance. We just have to wear all black for our acting classes. It's so that we're not distracted by what our classmates look like and we can focus more on how they're acting. Thanks for the cup of coffee. Thanks for the sermon illustration. I, not distracted by looks, but focused on acting, right? It's a pretty good summary of the second chapter of James that we just read. But it's more complicated than that, isn't it? I mean, y you get the sense that the author of this letter is really coming down hard on folks for slacking off on some essential obligations and responsibilities of the Christian faith. Kind of has this halftime pep talk feel to it. You call yourselves Christians, let's see some action out there. And Peterson, stop being so easy on those rich folks. What do we do with that? It's easy to read this chapter from James and feel like we have to find something about ourselves to critique. 
Faith without action is dead. Oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. The danger of misinterpreting this passage is allowing ourselves to be goaded into action by a feeling of guilt and shame that we're not doing enough. It's the danger of showing favoritism to the facade of spiritual abundance without dealing with the very real needs of our own spiritual hollowness. The other complication to understanding this passage from James has to do with the popular notion that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. These were words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Now, it's important to point out here, though, that when Paul was talking about works, he was using the term in a little bit different way than what James was doing. The major concern of Paul's theology had to do with the salvation of Gentiles, non-Jews. And so the works with which he was concerned were specific requirements of the Jewish law, which some were arguing ought to be prerequisites for salvation. No, Paul said, God's grace is good enough for all of us. Now, James' audience seems to have somehow misinterpreted this in such a way that their faith didn't inspire any sense of compassion for others, particularly the poor. They're claiming the Christian faith, but not really acting in any sort of way that would suggest that the God they claim to worship and serve really cares about the needs of others. They need to be reminded that loving their neighbor was, in fact, the royal law, according to the scripture. And to drive his point home and inspire compassion in his audience, James asks, if a brother or sister is naked or without food, and you say, hey, go in peace, stay warm, eat your fill, but you don't do anything to supply their bodily needs. This was the particular verse I was worried about having to preach here at second when you know Bob and Kevin and Elf are sitting on the front row. It feels kind of like preaching to the choir because so many members of the choir here are actively involved in caritas or the walk-in ministries that literally clothe and feed our brothers and sisters in downtown Richmond. You're doing enough. You're doing more than enough. And yet it's still possible to hear this passage and feel, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. Which isn't to say that God can't call us to doing more than more than enough. I think it's great that Scripture can get us fired up but let us not get so fired up that we burn out. If I had any college students here, that would be my message to them, seminarians. Message to you, church. Let's not get so fired up that we burn out. So what do we do? We cool ourselves the baptismal waters. We eat our fill 
at the table of grace. Sacraments remind us of the grace that claims and sustains us. We don't have to earn grace, but we are led by grace to respond. That's the sentiment captured in our own book of confessions on baptism. Right? When those who are baptized are infants, they don't have to do anything to earn that. The congregation, as well as the parents, have a special obligation to nurture them in the Christian life, leading them to make a public profession, which is their personal response to the love of God shown forth in their baptism. Led to respond, but given grace. And and on communion it says this, at the table we rejoice in the foretaste of the kingdom which Christ will bring to consummation at his promised coming. And go out from the Lord's table. Go out from the Lord's table with courage and hope for the service to which he has called us. Yes, we're always sent from the table to serve, but there has got to be time at the table first for us to celebrate the inbreaking of God's kingdom in our midst. So let's not allow the meaningful ministries in which we clothe ourselves to distract ourselves from our own potential for spiritual neediness. And let's not be so proud of our calling to serve that we miss that we are being invited to take and eat too. That's good enough. Amen. Let me pray with you. You, O God, are indeed good enough. You have visited us this morning, pouring out your spirit on the waters of baptism, reminding us of the same claim that you have placed on all of our lives. Fill our hearts with gratitude for this community that has kept its promise, raising us, nurturing us, teaching us, And fill us with gratitude for you, O God, who on this very same day has prepared a table for us to sit, rest, be filled, be reminded, be inspired, be called. May we take the time to truly, truly be grateful on this day. That in taking this bread and cup and moments, we may indeed affirm that you, are good enough. Amen.